Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc. is one of the all-time gets I've been striving for, Joe Polizzi. Joe is the Amazon best-selling author of Content, Inc., which just printed a second edition, and I devoured it over Memorial Day weekend. He's also penned Killing Marketing and Epic Content Marketing, which was named a must-read business book by Fortune Magazine. His novel, The Will to Die, was awarded Best Suspense Book of 2020 by the National Indie Excellence Awards, and Joe's latest version of Content, Inc. is now available. He's founded four companies, including content creation news site The Tilt, In 2014, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Content Council. His podcast series, This Old Marketing with Robert Rose, has millions of downloads from over 150 countries. And probably most near to his heart, his foundation, The Orange Effect, delivers speech therapy and technology services to children in over 35 states. Uh, As you know, I've been giving lots of love to Content Marketing World since it returns in person September 28th to October 1st in Cleveland. I'm hoping all of our listeners can convene there and nerd out together on all things Brand Story, Inc., Well, Joe actually created the damn thing. He's the founder and Content Marketing Institute and Content Marketing World, which he eventually sold as he outlines in Content Inc. back in 2016. Joe, welcome to the show. Gee, thank you for having me. What a great, uh, warm introduction. I hope people did not fall asleep when you went through all those. Uh, wonderful moments of my life, but I certainly appreciate uh, being on your show. Well, man, having four companies, it's tough to get that down concisely, right? So <laughs> you're a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. I had hair when I started the first yeah. one, so, uh, you know, things happen. Well, I'm wearing orange in, you know, in honor of you right now, even though you can't see me. So, so, but let's jump in. I just, I, I can I, feel it. I can feel the orange. I have orange on too. Good. I'm always wearing orange. I, I can't go anywhere without wearing orange. So we're, we're on it. Let's do this. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, it's kind of got to be interesting going back to content marketing world now that you're on the other side of having sold it and then running other businesses. But I, I did spend, uh, much Memorial Day weekend devouring your new book, the second edition of Content Inc., which I really like because you give away the model on on how you actually built and then sold the company and and particularly, you know, pull the curtain back and we're really transparent with numbers and advice and really loved it. It's a how-to, quote, start a content-first business, build a massive audience, and become radically successful with little to no money, end quote. Share the backstory on why the expanded second edition of this book now. Well, first of all, I was totally satisfied with writing mysteries and thrillers, Jay. I mean, that was (laughs) going into the pandemic. I, you know, I, I sold, my wife and I sold content marketing Institute, uh, stayed on until 17. I took a sabbatical year in 18, one of the best years of my life. Mm. And then I started, you know, I wrote my first, um, novel, which is a mystery thriller called the will to die, as you talked about. And I really just wanted to write something that my wife would actually read Hmm. because she never read any of my other business books. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to take the challenge. I'm going to take the Pepsi challenge and we're going to try to write this. And she liked it. So we went out and published it. It did fairly well. Uh, you know, won a couple of awards that was great. And I'm like, okay, I can, I'd like to do this thing. So I was writing the, the follow-up to the will to die. And then the pandemic hit. And, you know, everything changed for everybody. But I started to get all these messages and emails from some of my friends and colleagues and people that I'd never met before asking me about the Content Inc. model. And Content Inc. was the book that I wrote in 2015. I also had a podcast called, I still do, called the Content Inc. Podcast. And my downloads 
were going up and I hadn't produced anything for two years. And I'm like, okay, something's weird. Hmm. And I reached out to uh, my editor at McGraw-Hill Education. I said, just double check me. Is our sales going up? Like what's happening? And they said, no, we're seeing this. Whatever, for whatever reason, your book is taking off here again. And I felt bad because I'm like, look, this is, this needs to be updated. It's five years old at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. So I went on a mission and said, okay, let's update it. Let's see if the model still works, you know, post pandemic and all that kind of stuff. And went out and added, you know, I don't know how many new case studies, 50, 60 new case studies accentuated on the ones that we had in there, mm -hmm. checked to see if the model worked. It's a seven step model over a six step model. As you talked about the seven step is all about whether you want to sell the company or go big and become an enterprise. And, you know, here we are. And now I've, I'm not writing uh, thrillers anymore. I'm dedicated <laughs> to helping content creators build sustainable businesses. And that's why I launched the new company called The Tilt. And everything that we're doing is just dedicated to helping, you know, these content creators of any kind sort of get off some of these social platforms, understand how to build, uh, you know, a diverse set of monetization strategies with their content creation and, if they decide to never have to work for somebody again. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But so far the, the reception has been pretty amazing because as you know, I mean the, the creator economy, whatever you want to call it is just booming right now. But I think a lot of people need guidance and I think content Inc is that business model that they were looking for. Yeah. And, and I just love having read the book to your point, the, the case studies are the make or break, right? Otherwise you get into this philosophy and to kind of see you, you did such a great job at each step of the way using real life examples to illustrate the point, right? And I think to that point in Content Inc, you lay out in great detail the seven steps to visualize, launch, and monetize your content business. And they include steps like finding the sweet spot, the content till, the base, audience building, et cetera. You know, I'm curious which step you see right now as we tape this June 1st, 2021, which step do you see most content marketers struggling with? There's, there's two. It's always two. I don't care if you go into a large enterprise or whether you're a first-time content creator. It's the content tilt, and then it has to do with delivering consistently over time, and that's part of the base. So that's mm -hmm. step two and three. So real quickly, the content tilt is that area of differentiation where we can actually break through all the clutter on the web and find something, find a story that's unique or a hook. And what happens is if, if you're a content creator, I don't care how consistently you deliver information to a specific audience, if you don't have something that differentiates you, you're never going to get started, mm -hmm. especially if you don't have a large budget. So, I mean, just just Google cloud computing into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your favorite Google, your favorite search engine mm -hmm. and see what comes up. You'll have information from from Salesforce and IBM and um, and Amazon. And it all sounds and feels the same. It's almost like you could take a piece of content and put take it off yeah. an Amazon site and put it on an IBM site. I'm like, what were these people thinking? Mm -hmm. There's no differentiation here. They might be able to get away with it because they're a billion-dollar company. But if you're not, you can't. You'll never break through. You'll never be found. You'll never build an audience. So you have to do that first. And then most, and we talk about this in the book, most content creators, they give up after six to nine months. Mm -hmm. And you're just getting started. You're just finding your voice. You're just finding an audience at that point. And you don't you don't get the monetization till at least nine months, and you really don't uh, you know get into that groove until between twelve and eighteen months, and then twenty four months around that mark. That's the hockey stick. Mm -hmm. That's when you're generating you're you're able to generate all forms of revenue, but most people can't make it that far. Yeah, and and you know to your point, the base we'll talk about in a second. But I, I'm curious because you mentioned 
the struggles can be different between solopreneurs and brands with significant resources and content teams. And, and how do you see them? Where do you see the difference between you? You've had insight into some of the largest content marketing teams at the biggest names where resources aren't an issue and you've seen challenges there. And to your point, you've seen in, in many cases, the little guy, the one man band just clean their clock, right? In, in, in regards to around a certain topic or an issue. What, what are the biggest differences you see between solopreneurs and, and well-established content marketing teams? It's funny, you know, it's funny, Jay, you were bringing up content marketing world. My speech at content marketing world, my keynote is all about how the mom and pops mm -hmm. are destroying the enterprises mm -hmm. because, and it's all around focus. And the thing is with the solopreneur, focus is forced. Yeah. You don't have unlimited resources. You don't have a lot of money. So you say, look, I'm going to create my base on the blog or the podcast or the YouTube series or the Twitch channel. You just don't, you, and you become an expert at that. You get into a larger enterprise, and I've seen it a thousand times. I'll go in, and we'll do a basic content audit, and I, we, we put all the content down there. We've categorized it, and they're, they're creating content for 14, 16, 18 different channels, and it's mediocre. It's what Doug Kessler calls a mountain of meh. It's just a bunch of stuff, and you're not building an audience. You're not helping people live better lives or get better jobs. It's just stuff. So when you go into a large enterprise – you basically have to try to convince them to kill things, yep. to stop producing content and become great or indispensable at one or two. Now, that's the great part about being a mom and pop, a small business, a solopreneur, whatever you want to call them, because you have that forced, you have to just, you don't, you don't have the, uh, the luxury of all this mm -hmm. budget, but that's, I think that's a good thing, and that's what we're seeing, and that's why content entrepreneurs are outperforming some of these large enterprises because, look, they just, they're just great at one thing. And that's the recipe for every great media company for hundreds of years is focus on one content type and one channel consistently deliver over time. I don't care if there's 20 more social media platforms tomorrow. That's the way it is. That's what the data tells us. And that's why enterprises suffer because they don't follow that model. Yeah, I mean, I think if I, if you, you touched on it, right? The content tilt and then the base. If, if I had to distill things down as concisely as I could, it's that really understanding that differentiation to your point, whether it's cloud computing, right? Or whatever the topic may be, it's that niche within the niche and really doing your homework to make sure you understand that. But then to your point, I, I thought you did a fantastic job in the book of showing example after example after example of going to where your audience is on one platform and nailing that. It's not that you can't grow to other platforms, but it's really proved the model on a singular platform that connects you with your audience in a way that creates value. And, and, and you did a great job of that um, in the book. But. Well, it's, thank you. It, but it, it's just the data, right? I mean, if you look at the, look at the most popular YouTuber right now, Mr. Beast, mm -hmm. what does he do? He's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. He's on YouTube every day. That's what he does. Look at the most popular podcaster on the planet. That's Joe Rogan experience. What yep. did he do? He just does a podcast. Yep. You know, so, you know, Wally Koval, we talk about in the book has accidentally Wes Anderson, one of my favorite case studies. He posts a, an image that looks like it came out of a Wes Anderson movie mm -hmm. every day on Instagram. And he went from a couple followers to now more than a million, a best-selling book, uh, New York times, you know, th these, it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this is the model that works instead of what some of these large enterprises do. So Really good. Hey, you know, I think one of the joys as a business owner I had reading this book was your level of transparency. You shared your goals. You shared specific numbers. 
right? So for example, listeners, the goal he had was to sell for 15 million by 2015. You, Joe and his wife eclipsed that in 2016, uh, which is amazing that you were able to surpass that goal uh, within a year of your stated goal. And, and you shared what you learned on the journey. And so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Joe Polizzi Inc. Since you sold the business, uh, your podcast, your novel, your foundation, and of course, now your new business, The Tilt, uh, which I signed up for a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Give us the pie slices of your life and how you spend your time and what you do for money as opposed to what you do for fun. Well, the, uh, I mean, we're lucky, my wife and I, you know, selling Content Marketing Institute puts us in a very unique spot. And I had to do, you know, six, let's see, what is it, six months ago, nine months ago, I had to really look at my life and say, where can I do the most good? Mm -hmm. So that's why I really focused on, okay, I'm going to give my career time, if you will, over to content creators and help them build sustainable businesses. And then I've always had our foundation, Orange Effect Foundation, is all about delivering speech therapy services to children and families that can't afford it. That's a big personal mm -hmm. issue. You know, we our son was uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum when he was two years old. He didn't have a vocabulary when he was three. Aggressive speech therapy, mm -hmm. so we focus on that issue. So my time is split between. You know, we just had a huge fundraiser for Orange Effect. We do all we're doing is raising money and we're trying to give it away to families that need it. And then on the content creation side, to be honest, Jay, I love working with entrepreneurs and small businesses on this simply because when you tell them about the Content Inc. model and what we're trying to do, they actually can listen. They listen and they do something about it. Mm -hmm. When you go into a larger enterprise, you've got 17 layers to get through till somebody can get approval to do something. Mm -hmm. And usually it doesn't happen. I mean, I've consulted with some of them, as you said. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been in probably, you know, a good... 10 of the fortune 100 companies mm -hmm. talking to them about content marketing in some way. And sadly I'll go in and we'll have a great plan and we'll work with the champion in there, but it doesn't get approved yep. and it's tiring yeah. to give advice that you know is right. And you look and you say, here's the stats and here's what everything sells. And if you want to build an asset in your organization, here's what you need to do, but they can't get it approved because it's a muscle that organizations aren't used to using. They don't know anything about this content marketing thing. All they're trying to do is say, hey, we have this widget to sell. We yeah. need to sell it. And content creation and building an audience takes too long. So let's go interrupt some people. And that's fine. Yeah. A lot of people do that. But the most innovative companies around the world are building audiences like Google, like Amazon, like Apple. I mean, they're, they're those big brands for a reason because they've been able to build loyal audiences over time and they monetize those audiences in six, seven, eight, nine different ways. So that I'm, I'm, that's what I'm dedicated to, and that's why I just I just want to. There's all these new content creators out there, whether they they're 16 years old or 60, that are trying to build new businesses by building an audience online. Today, it's never been more accessible to build a business online because of the democratization of content, the yeah. fact that you can go out and find an audience for little or no money. But there's a process. So just that's what I'm doing. Just teaching the process. You've been through it. I've been through it. Uh, all the people in the book have been through it. It's like, hey, here it is. Don't yep. don't scratch your head. There is a way to go. It's a little different. You don't you don't have to be everywhere your customers are at yep. online. You have to do certain things really well. Well, I mean, I think as one now that I'm one of your subscribers to the Tilt in the most recent edition, you went on a deep dive on how many content marketers fail at the content mission statement, right? So again, I think 
if you look at if you're looking at inflection points of the content ink business model, you, you've already identified kind of the content tilt and the base as two places where people go south. I would also look at this, right? Give some meat on the bone on why content marketers fail on the content marketing mission, the content mission statement, uh, and some of the highlights of your advice here. Sure. And the content mission statement, for those that don't know what that is, it's just like an editorial mission statement for a media company. So it's your North Star. So that when you focus on, okay, who's the audience that we're targeting, that very specific audience, and what are we going to be delivering on an ongoing basis, you need a statement. Mm -hmm. And and unlike a, a company's mission statement, like, you know, Patagonia's might be for, you know, sustainability, your content mission statement is very different. And it's not focused on what you're going to sell. It's focused on what you're going to deliver to that audience. So it's a couple of different parts. It's, first of all, it's who, who you're targeting, very specific, be as specific as possible. And then what, what are you sending? Are you... Are you sending blog posts? Are you sending podcasts? Are you YouTube all about the base? Mm -hmm. And then the most important one that nobody does is what's the audience outcome? What's actually in it for the audience? So that blog post, are you trying to help them live a better life, get a better job? What is that? Be specific. Every piece of content you send out should help that audience member in some way. And what happens is if you have that, and it's a living document, Jay. So when you go into your content team, you should review this every time you have an editorial or a content meeting and every idea, let's say your CEO has a great idea and say, oh, I want to do this interview with so-and-so and I think it's really important. Well, your content team has to look at that and say, well, does it fit the mission? Because yep. if it doesn't, you have to go to the CEO and say, no, it does not fit. This is not the litmus, this is a litmus test and nothing that is off topic or is not going to help our audience is going to get through. And it's a very simple thing to do. Of course, we talk a lot about the examples in the book. But all editorial brands out there have a mission statement. And I'll, I'll end with this because I think it's important. I started at a publishing company called Penton Media. At the mm -hmm. time, Penton was the largest independent media company in North America. And I worked for about 45 different brands. We had in the brands like uh, you know HVAC, our magazine, mm -hmm. and Industry Week magazine, they all have different audiences. Every one of them had a different mission statement. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to think of. Every time you have a new audience and a new tilt, you need a different mission statement. And what most companies, they have just a, if they get a mission statement at all, it's very bland, it's all-encompassing, it's so broad. And if you're creating content for everybody, you're creating content for nobody. So you have to figure out how can we be the greatest in the world at this so that we can build this amazing content experience for this audience. You listen to Joe Polizzi, who I'm looking forward to seeing you in person uh, this September 28th, October 1st at Content Marketing World in Cleveland. Uh, you mentioned you're going to be presenting why the moms and pops are crushing corporate content creators. Looking forward to that. Uh, we touched on a little bit. Give us another preview of what the audience can expect to hear uh, in that presentation that you're going to give in one of your keynotes. It's, I mean, it really, you know, we talked about this, the idea of focus. I mean, when, when Bill Gates and Warren Buffett got together, there's this great story that I talk about in the book where they, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the one word you would write down for your success? And both of them wrote down focus at the same time. Of course, they became lifelong friends. It's focus. And it's very hard for large enterprise to focus because you have so many demands from the sales team, from the marketing team, from the executive team. And you really do, large enterprises really do feel they have to be everywhere where their customers are at online. And this is a lie. You do not have to be everywhere your customers are at online. You should not be creating content in every platform online. And that's where the mom and pops win every time. And so that's where 
if you're, I don't care if you're a mom and pop right now or you're a large enterprise, you should be looking at all the places that you're creating content and you should start to kill some things. Mm -hmm. So that's one. The second thing is, and we haven't talked about this, this is probably more important than anything we're talking about, is what we're seeing, we have some research coming out really soon, which is what I'm, I'm gonna talk about in the presentation, but you entrepreneurs and small businesses are less reliant on social platforms than larger enterprises. Hmm. And this is really important because what small, small mom and pops have found is that, okay, that's great. We can have a YouTube channel or we can have a podcast or we can have a Facebook group. But at the end of the day, we can't control our communication to that audience. What can we do? We can build an email list. Yep. Mom and pops are becoming really good at building old school, mm -hmm. valuable email newsletters where you don't have to worry about YouTube changing their algorithm all the time or TikTok getting banned or whatever the case is, which always happens. So it's this flight to email that we're seeing is yep. really, really important. And at the end of the day, it's all great having fans and followers from all the different social media platforms, but you can't control any of those. You can get reach, but there's no control there. So you have to move up the subscriber hierarchy is what we talk about in the book. And you have to get to print subscribers and email subscribers, old school marketing, right? Yep. Old school content, but it's still where it's at. And so it's fine if you do a YouTube channel and you're a large brand or whatever size you are, but at the end of the day, you have to figure out what's your secondary strategy to move those subscribers off into something that I can control with some double opt-in policy where you can communicate that to them on a regular basis. Yeah, and I mean, that's what a lot of enterprises are doing. I thought it was interesting when you talked about valuations of businesses because I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I will use it as an example. Barstool Sports, right? Um, and and I, all, I often use it because people just understand the power of community. And for Barstool, it's always, it's I always say it's like, it's not about the fact that if Presidente or one of their you know name people says, go buy this t-shirt, that 50,000 people will buy them the next day. Yeah. It's worth so much more than the million dollars of gross revenue. It's the ability to get 50,000 people to run through a wall because you said so, right? And I think that's kind of the inherent, you know, I, I'm constantly talking, I'm sure you are too. One of my favorite um, examples of this was um, it's not about the size of the audience, right? It's about the engagement level of having the right audience. I read that Ferrari has an email list of 2,000 people or 5,000 people. It's a 5,000 person like high-end Ferrari email list that brings in over $2 million in revenue on that 5,000 alone. Right. Like I use that example because it's such an extreme. Right. Five thousand people for two million dollars in gross revenue. And you're seeing this and you go into this. Right. If you do not have a direct, you know, direct B2B own the audience part of your strategy, you're set up for, for failure. Right. And I, I thought one thing that was awesome. I, I just I listened to it this morning. Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, this old marketing. I listened to um the podcast from, from late April where you're talking about content studios and the emergence of content studios. And, you know, there's some news that came out with Neutrogena and, and it was funny because you guys, I was, I was finding myself being like, yes, exactly. As I was listening to you guys, because you were talking about the notion of like, okay, look, this is not new, right? Brand content studios are not new. Uh, Marketing Dive, uh, we've had Sean Griffey on before, was getting some love from you guys. And it was, it, was a, it was a good article talking about kind of the pendulum swing to insourcing and brand content studios. And I, I thought, you know, to this point, to kind of bring it back, Robert was talking about the notion that, it might have been you, Joe, 
one of the things you're going to see probably in 2021 is roll-ups of these small mom and pops, people who have these direct access to the emails, but like this acquisition and this, this buy versus build. I am curious, since Brand Story Inc. is heavily geared towards the brand content studio, what your thoughts are on kind of where we are in the evolution of um, brands as content creators and, and the whole notion of content studios. I thought that podcast was great going into this. Yeah, I know it, it's we love we've been talking about content studios forever and you know they come and go right because yep. they have this insource and then everybody outsources and then it's just I think it depends on who the chief marketing officer is at the time and what they're bent you know which way do they go you mm-hmm. get a new CMO in it's like oh we're going to insource and then we're going to outsource it's 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 challenging I think where it's been done right is I hate to mention it but we talk about it in the book where yeah. you look at a Red Bull media house where yeah. it really does become a separate thing. Now, I'd like to think that you could have a content studio inside a corporation, but basically what it ends up generally being is a content factory for other departments. It's like, oh, we need this white paper. Oh, go! Cre- oh, we got a content yeah. studio. Go create that. Instead of that studio looking out and saying, oh, we have this audience base. How do we create an amazing content experience for them on a regular basis? And if we do that, what does that mean for our company? That's yeah. the hypothesis, right? Yeah. Are we gonna, how are we going to change or maintain behavior in some way? This is marketing. We're not just creating content for content's sake. And I think sometimes that gets lost. And we use Aero Electronics mm-hmm. in the book as well, where they have, I think, 52 different media brands, and they set up those things as a separate entity. Now, do they drive more electronics pur- purchases for uh, Aero Electronics? Sure they do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, every one of those 52 brands are already profitable in and of themselves, just like little media companies. Mm-hmm. I think in in a lot of cases, that's a better model because you don't have a fight for, oh, these are our resources that we need and we're going to use this. Oh, yeah, white paper, whatever, and just waste time. You want that content studio focused on the needs of the audience and not necessarily what needs to be sold, sold or piped into that at any time. So that's what I'd like to see, a little bit more separation. You need somebody that understands publishing and marketing in charge of those things. And then... Also, you know, we've talked about the idea, um, I think maybe a part of that podcast as well. There's opportunities to go out and buy some of these yeah, things. Exactly. Some of these small mom and pop creators, you can go ahead and buy them. Big brands are buying it. And if you have, if you want a really good example that just happened, you've got HubSpot, right? Yep. HubSpot buys the hustle, a $1 million plus email um, subscriber database. And they didn't, they bought them for, I think Robert said on the podcast, about 6% of annual sales and marketing costs. Um, so think yeah. about this. They got it for a song. Yeah, exactly. but it's a great media valuation. So if you're a media company, you're happy. But from you know a billion dollar company, it was a drop in the bucket. So these are the things that are starting to happen where you're going to have a lot of large brands, and it's already happening. They're going to go out and buy a lot of these mom and pops because the mom and pops know how to build the audience. They focused on it, and a company like HubSpot doesn't want to wait any longer. They don't have the patience for 12 to 18 to 24 months, so they're just going to go out and say, hey, we got the cash. Yep. Let's go out and buy it. Yeah, I mean, you guys were also talking about one of our past guests on there, Sean Griffey and Marketing Dive, and I thought they're interesting, right? They're not a – they're they're a B2B. They saw a gap in the kind of the, the slow transition of industry trades really being digital first, right? And so Marketing Dive, what did they do? They created – and the, the thing I love about Sean is – and it kind of goes with the same theory of you and your Content Inc. model is – they have 30 plus different industry B2B magazines now. Like they have one on waste management. They have one on food. They have one on all, all around, you know, kind of a deep dive into the different market, hence the name marketing dive. And what I love about him, he's like, look, 
people people kind of thumb their nose at Sean because they're like, oh, it's only, you know, each one was like, oh, that's only $2 million or that's a $3 million gross revenue. Well, you add that times 30 and, and they're highly profitable. And he talks about this. It's fascinating. And you and Robert, I thought were great. It's like food, that, that's too broad. You could do avocado. You could do, right? Like it's an endless um, ability to kind of go deep now that he's built that that mousetrap. But I, but I thought that was a great example of kind of the, and it's all email lists. Right, it's all B two B. It's all about acquiring that relationship and that authority with the with the end user, which is Content Inc. model um, personified. So, no, you're just you're, you're so right. I mean, I love this when we talk about this in the book as well. What's the value of the New York Times? Is the value all the content they produce? No, the, the value is the audience. Right. right. That the way they, they the audience and they, the ability for them to monetize that audience. So, I think a lot of people think the value is in all this content creation. Content creation. There's no in innate, there's no value in and of itself unless it creates a positive experience. Yep. And then you show that positive experience through a subscriber relationship. So, well, I'd, I'd love to turn it back to you before we flip to the, the, the home stretch here. And let's revisit the tilt. And if you're listening, check out thetilt.com, where Joe, one of his businesses, is turning content creators into content entrepreneurs. It's a twice a week uh, email, it's really robust, very easy to sign in. Uh, I'm curious on the tilt for you. Where are you in your own content ink model with the tilt and where do you see it going? Oh, that's great. You ask because we're following the, you know, we'd be, <laughs> it'd be shameful if we were building this new business and we weren't following the model. We are all about building the base right now. So we're in step three and then we're moving into step four, which is really focused on audience building. And our base is email. Mm-hmm. And even though it's harder to build a base around email, it's much easier to go to where the audience is at first. I wanted to start with the place that we should be first. And I believe that's the, the best relationship we can have is through email. So we've got about 8,000 or so mm-hmm. subscribers right now. After a couple of months, we're doing just fine. Our content tilt is this idea of the content entrepreneur. Nobody's using that term, mm-hmm. content entrepreneur. I think that that just really describes the creator economy better than anything else. You know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're into content, do you say that you're part of the creator economy? No, I don't think so. <laughs> that's that's like saying, you, you know, an it, it, the creator economy is building a lot of Uber drivers. Nothing wrong with being an Uber driver, but it's a lot of side gigs. Mm-hmm. And what we want to focus on is having content creators build their own sustainable businesses. So that's what we're at. And so we're going to be in this first four you know, stages, sweet spot, content tilt, the base, and then building audience, which is all about email audience right now before we get to revenue. We have not monetized yet, mm-hmm. and we probably won't until the fall maybe, but mm-hmm. the numbers and the audience will dictate that. And a lot of people have trouble with that model, but I think this is the correct model. The audience will tell us exactly what they want to buy and when they want to buy it, when we get to a minimum viable audience. And that's what we're waiting for. That's what the staff is waiting for. And nice. um, no, we're excited well, about good it. Work. We're just focused on the audience's needs right now. It's really robust. Highly recommended. I'm not saying that just because Joe's on. Um, you know, Joe is the godfather of, of content marketing, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. Uh, I, to that end, I am curious about, we have a segment called Morning Musts. And what do you do each morning? What are the musts for you to stay on top of the content marketing world? Who gets into your email inbox or your social feed? Uh, oh, man, I, I engage, I look at a lot of content. I, the first two newsletters I read in the morning are Morning Brew and New York Times. Mm-hmm. So I get a kind of feel of what's going on. I love the Morning Brew. It does keep some marketing in. I love what Sarah Fisher is doing at Axios. Yep. She covers the media trends at Axios. I'm definitely in that as well. And then we have our own Discord channel 
uh, where we all share articles about what's oh. going on. So we have to make sure that we put that in. We've got a you know small little community that's building at the tilt where everybody starts to share articles. And so hopefully down the line, that's the place that we will go. But, uh, but yeah, I get, man, there's so many locations because we've got a Thursday, we got a Thursday podcast that we do for this old marketing. We record Thursday, it publishes Friday morning and we generally have six, seven, eight news articles that Mm -hmm. we have to cover for the week. So, and then Twitter, of course, I follow 200 people in my Twitter feed and these are people that are in the media marketing space. And I usually get a couple a day of really crucial uh, updates from them. So that's kind of what I do. Awesome. Final question. Joe Polizzi, I'm closing in on finishing my first book. It's a creative nonfiction. So uh, I'm in year three. So huge props to you for publishing your novel, The Will to Die, which, as we mentioned, was named Best Suspense Book of 2020 by the National Indie Excellence Awards. Curious what books are on your nightstand right now just for fun? Oh, well, I'm actually into Robert McCammon right now. And uh, he's got a series out there called the Matthew Corbett series. So this is a, a mystery thriller. Um, and this one is, is number two in the Matthew Corbett series that I'm reading. And this is called Queen of Bedlam. I just started it. Uh, I love Robert McCammon. I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. And then right next to me, as I always do, is Stranger in a Strange Land from Robert Heinlein. I read it every year. Hmm. Uh, whenever I need a little pick-me-up, I always read it. Um, I think it's the, the best science fiction book ever made. And I, <laughs> I read it as awesome. often as I can. So I've got that one right next to me. And then on a business standpoint... Uh, Margot Bloomstein just wrote an incredible book called Trustworthy. And so if you're looking for a really good business book with a content strategy bent, I'd go and get uh, Margot's book called Trustworthy. Joe Polizzi from Tilt Content Inc. author, highly recommended, and can't thank you enough for your time. Jay, this has been fantastic. Anytime, my friend. Thanks for listening to Brand Story Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.